Welcome to the Young Crones Cafe, where you can get a magic brew full of all sorts of information, both witchy and practical. Grab a cup of coffee and join us. I'm Elizabeth, a wordsmith. And I'm Dave, a modern-day sage. We are going to talk about various witchcraft and life topics from a slightly more mature perspective, at least most of the time. Thanks for joining us. Today's metaphysical kernel of thought is correspondences. For any witch, correspondences are things that are equivalent or represent other things for spell work or in a ritual. After all, you can't physically put a quality or emotion directly into a spell, so correspondences actually serve as substitutes for those intangibles. Traditionally, there are all sorts of things that have been used as correspondences, ranging from herbs to colors to crystals to astrological signs and even the days of the week. You can find all sorts of lists online detailing which item corresponds with whatever you want to use it for as part of a spell. There are two important things to consider here. First, while these lists may be beneficial because many people have built up associations with a particular item through long use, it still is important to consider if what the list says actually resonates with you for its meaning. Just because it's traditional doesn't mean you have to use it as a match for what you think it should be. Use some personal discernment and decide for yourself if a particular herb, crystal, or whatever works for you. There is no point in using correspondences in a spell for your benefit if you don't feel like they're going to aid you in creating what you want. Second, Consider figuring out some modern correspondences for yourself. Witches have always been practical people, and we use whatever we have on hand for magic. Take a look around your home or apartment, your backyard, or your workplace, and see what you can find that would work as a representation of whatever you are crafting a spell to create. Start keeping lists of potential items for yourself. Think of it as expanding the possibilities of what you can use and go from there. Finally, it isn't necessary to delay a spell because you don't think you have something you supposedly need. The important information about correspondences is they are nice to have, but you can work a spell with absolutely nothing but your intent and your words. Correspondences are fun to have, but they are just aids and not the magic itself. Good evening, Dave. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? Eh, hanging in, you know. Were Another you able day. to avoid the, the nasty 90-degree heat today? Mostly. Good, good. Yeah. I, I felt so. Uh, yeah. I felt so concerned. My roommate had to go out in the heat, um, and okay. uh, it was a struggle for him. But it was just nasty out there today. Yep. Yeah. Well, my grandson was working up on a roof today. Oi. In the heat. Yeah. And we have an alarm set in his phone that rings like every thirty minutes. Drink some water. Drink some water. Drink that's some water. A, that's a great idea. I used to run into those kind of practices uh, back when I was in engine rooms in the Navy. Yep. Yeah, it's the same idea. You, you get, body you running right. You have to be conscious of that stuff. You know, I mean, there are people who are out there, the construction workers and firefighters, and sure. can't avoid. Like, you know, people who can't be in air conditioning all day, and we should be grateful for them. Absolutely. But tonight we're going to talk about correspondences. Now, as it said in our reading, correspondences for witches are things that represent other things for spell work. You know, those intangibles or emotions or qualities. Or, for instance, okay, you want to manifest a new car. You can't bring a, a full-size car 
into a spell with the correspondence. Let's be honest about it. If you could do that, you'd only have the damn car. Okay. She brought a car into sacred space and you've got a car. You don't need to manifest another one kind of thing. You know, you could always use a toy car at that point. Absolutely. That's a representation. So yep. the ideas, correspondences are ways within a spell to get the universe to recognize things it can't see. So then using your I'm wishing for a car analogy, I could set a skateboard in that spot. Say I wish that was a car. Well, not exactly, because you want you want the car. Right. So you bring a toy car as a representative of the larger thing that you want. And you want to get that specific. You this know. brings up no, I did I did that for a reason because well, I know it brings up yeah. the whole question of correspondences being a specific and unified and traditional item versus being more of a self-declared and and sometimes you know in the moment thing so talk about traditional correspondences and how the path has used them or gotten away from them or what have you well we still use them but all right think of an herb herbs have, are probably one of the most common correspondences. If you go online and Google herbal correspondences for, or herbal correspondences of lavender, you will find 180 lists of okay. that people associate lavender with. Now, calming, sleep, etc., etc., tend to be the most common among all these lists. And over the years, Somebody originally years ago figured out lavender calmed babies way back in the day. So it kind of got that association and enough people agree with that over time. So it kind of takes on that energy. Okay. And correspondence. And that's kind of where the traditional lists come from. They've been around quite a while and a lot of people associate it with that. So it works as a correspondence for calming or whatever. Now, well, it's similar to like the Native American four sacred herbs with the sage and cedar. And, you know, there's there's a sanctity that generations and generations and generations have people of people have used this object for this purpose that adds power to it. Certainly. Exactly. Or Culpepper's herbal from I think it's like the 15th or 16th century. That's where a lot of those traditional herbal lists got their start or were written down even. Okay. A lot of times herbal correspondence was were based on what it was used for medicinally, from for example, like bone set. So I guess I never considered the the little tidbits of knowledge that I've picked up about herbs as correspondences. I just have a bunch of sort of loosely associated facts in my head that I picked up, you know, over over the years, simply because for me, it's I tend to come from the other end of what do I have right now at this moment in front of me that speaks to me and says, I will be your representation of fire. Well, sure. and, I, and I can pick up this lighter. Mm -hmm. And so after, and maybe it's, maybe it's practice, maybe it's training from my past 
you know, or, or my service or whatever, but my brain is patterned to immediately look around at those items that are right in front of me and quickly I can pretty much go, all right, you are fire, your water, your air. And so instead of using the same object over and over, over and over, Although I, I can't, I can't say I don't do that because I do that with certain incenses and I do that with certain candles. But for me, it's, it's less about following the rigidity of what tradition is mm -hmm. and more about what do I freaking have on the shelf? Yeah. You know, you know, that, that, that saying we don't, you know, we don't do our magic from the spell book. We, we do it from our cupboard. You know, what do we have available that we can cook with? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the same idea, but that's where those traditionalists kind of got their start. And those sure. And if you choose to use those, great. But by the same token, as we say in the writing, it has to resonate with you. I can pick up a crystal and Google it. And it says it's used for this, this, and this. And I'm holding it in my hand, and I'm like, no, it's not. That's not the vibes I'm getting at all. It wants to work with me in this way. And we have to take all of those lists with a grain of salt just because they've been around. That's what worked for that. Well, I, I, I refer to spell work um, by, by wrote and written down mm -hmm. um, kind of the same way in that that's what worked for that witch on that day at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the popular thing now, your mileage may vary. Um, please, for God's sake, vary your mileage. Take yeah. control of this spell. Look at what you've got in your cupboard and use what you have. You know, play to your strengths. And and like I said, just because you've looked at that traditional list and it says it works as X, if it doesn't work for X for you, find something that does. The funny the funny thing is when I go through um the path book and I look at the lists of some of the correspondences that you and Sue just familiarly used in your own tradition. Mm -hmm. And I can I can go down the list of things that you use for air, and each and every single one of them makes complete sense to me after they've been put on that list. And I look at it, you know, from from being in their own bucket, they all make sense to me. Mm -hmm. But I've never consciously felt the need to have my own sort of playbook or whatever. What do I use for this? What do I use for that? It's more of what do I have handy for this? Well, sure, that works fine too. You know, and, and some people are more comfortable with lists, and some people are more comfortable flying by the seat of their pants too. Sure, some, some people you know. love to cook um, strictly by recipes, and there's there's a lot of value to that. Um, sure, some people like to. Some some people some of us like to stand in front of the stove and say, "All right, what are we working with here?" <laughs> yeah, well, that works too, unless you're baking. Then you have to kind of be more precise. Absolutely. It requires precision. And both of those spell types of spell work are equally valid. Both of those correspondences, I mean, you can use, for instance, baking powder in what salt is often a common ingredient in both savory and baking cooking. Right. Okay. Savory cooking, it's more intuitive how much salt you're going to put in. And you kind of learn. When you're learning to cook, you tend to oversalt 
Okay. Because you're not sure how, you know, exactly how much it gets absorbed and all that. And by trial and error, you learn. If you're baking, if it says one teaspoon of salt, that's exactly how much salt you have to put in there. Otherwise, you fucked up the recipe. The chemistry doesn't work. Chemistry Absolutely. Doesn't work. Or you get cookies that taste like salt. Even You know what I'm saying? So oh, there are correspondences that are very, very, very valuable. I'm trying to, to bring this up a level yeah. and kind of genericize it. There are correspondences that are very important to certain types of magic or certain types of working. I think so, you know, in that respect. But by the same token, spell work is always intuitive. If you're in the middle of you know you've read through a spell it's not when you wrote yourself so that you picked your own correspondences and you read it and you come across one that just doesn't fit then it's not right for your spell and you should find a substitute now taking it back we were talking about lavender which is supposed to be calming a lot of spell books that you can buy everywhere and read their lavender is a very common ingredient in a bunch of spells Never in my life will I work a spell with lavender because I'm allergic to lavender. It makes me violently sneeze every time I smell it. So I'm not going to write a spell or use a spell that's full of lavender. You are going to develop your own personal correspondence for lavender. Absolutely. And I think that's great. And the idea where you said you look around and see what you have, that's kind of where Sue and I started developing modern correspondences. Okay, we've been using herbs and crystals and candles in the days and the week for centuries. I'm sorry, I have to laugh because, folks, I was 99% of the time the guy who either later on after the mosquitoes were gone or the next morning would clean up what was left of the altar table. And I used to find some of the most amazing things on that table, and I would be able to see, okay, yep, they were using that for fire, and they were using that for water. And or- you, you two were always a combination of we need something for this, but then pick whatever you're going to use for the this just randomly out of whatever's on the porch. Yeah, pretty much. You know? But but it made sense. You know, and, and I think, I, I really feel like the old time witches, I'm not talking about the pagans of the 50s and Gerald Gardner, I'm talking about the real old witches. They used what was available. Oh, certainly. Okay. So even Appalachia, you know, the old granny magic and knowing, knowing how to use the right kind of herbs to make poultices and things like that, that at one time was the best sort of actual medicine that was available in a lot of places in the world. Sure. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with it. And that's where we get some of those herbal correspondences for. And there is an energy associated with that. And that's great. But by the same token, we don't, we live in an area where we have doctors and aspirin and quantum drafts and so on. Cough drafts can be correspondences if you think about it. Okay. So what would you use a cough drop as a correspondence for? Clear communication, eloquence. I yeah. see air. Yeah, it's the same idea. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so, so you can relate it to an element or like we were talking about, a correspondence is there to represent a quality 
like communication. So it's a simplified form of six degrees of separation, sort of. Yeah. How, how in this moment for this practice or this working or this construct that I have, can I use item X to represent concept Y? Yes, because you can't. They're again, so they're they're props or they're placeholders in a way. In a in a way, and they are kind of layers of energy or layers of representation of what you're trying to manifest, which would propel more power. It's like using a tool in that respect. And yes, all correspondences at their most basic are props. By By layering them, you increase the energy of your spell. In that respect. Yep. You know, if you layer correspondence and correspondence and correspondence, I mean, you see me making layers, but that's what I'm doing. You, you, you pack more punch. Sure. You, you put the energy into it. It's like packing a, an old time rifle and you just have to load the gunpowder powder. Okay. If you just put a little gunpowder in it, you're going to get a poof. Right. If you keep packing it and packing it and packing it until you have enough of it to charge so the bullet shoots at the expected distance kind of thing. Okay. Or farther. And the more you pack those layers of stuff in, the more power you can generate. It's interesting that you 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 use that as an analogy only because the the historical legacy term for that in gunnery um, from a regular hand rifle all the way up to big ship guns. Mm -hmm. That act is called charging the weapon. (laughs) There you go. So there you are. It's the same idea. You are literally charging your spell before you add the energy, the energy to it. Okay, so now I'm going to end up spending the next week like Rambo, where every time I pick something up and intend to use it like a wand or an athame, I'm going to have to do the... (laughs) (laughs) But you understand what I'm saying. I most certainly do. If you're using it, you know, if you are adding more than one correspondence, it becomes more important. A stronger visualization or prop in that that construct that is the energy energy that you're trying to release or capture at the moment. Right. And if you are creating a spell and you're sending it out to the into the universe, asking it to manifest whatever the purpose of the spell is, the more ways you can show the universe what you're trying to accomplish the more likely are you are sometimes to have success. I mean, there are times, though, when you can just use your words and go out and do what you're doing. But it, it seems it seems to give the universe something to focus on. Well, and, and you know, for a moment, I recall the, the, the classic Hollywood misrepresentation of the traditional voodoo dolls and things yeah. like that. But, yeah, the more specific that you can be in your constructs representations of your desire the more powerful your magic absolutely yeah and it's all about intent yep the more layers you put in the clearer your intent becomes and the more powerful i i i'm a big big believer that it exponentiates yep yeah exactly and the idea is just to bring it back around 
correspondences represent things we don't have or are intangible, like emotions or qualities, patience, tolerance, etc., things like that. And we use some sort of physical representation. I, I burned this paper to release my anger. Uh-huh, exactly. Okay, I'm seeing it better now. So it is a physical representation of an intangible quality. You're releasing the anger as the smoke goes up. Yep. Same idea, yes. And don't need them, but they're awful nice to have. And so I guess from, from my point of view, I've always been troubled by the word correspondences because I always have initially felt like, oh, God, I'm supposed to know this stuff. No. But but really, it's coming from more from a solitary point of view. These are the things that I've already been practicing and doing and writing about on my own. They're just being referred to in different words is all. Yeah, and can we mention you don't have to know the stuff because you can Google them. Well, <laughs> think about it, okay? I, from a metaphysical standpoint, can't let Google be the answer to all of my questions. Oh, no, but I saying, you want to look for, you know, a starting place for correspondences. Look sure. there and make sure if you want or not. Ask but, the moon. That's always my, my my go-to advice. The next time you see the moon, ask it. Yeah, you'd be surprised the answers you get. Yep. And the important thing to remember is... I guess that's that's my automatic correspondence when I see the moon, though. There you go. It's a question answerer. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and let... An educate ball in the sky. <laughs> yeah, and, and let us also really reinforce the fact that if you find a spell that, that resonates with you that somebody else wrote and you want to use it and you don't have a particular item, don't delay the spell just because you can't get your hands on that item. Find something else and go on from there. Delaying your magic because you can't find some correspondence that somebody said you have to have. Is so we get kind of uh, when I say we, those of us that, that had a Western upbringing and education sort of get programmed into this. If we make a change to a recipe, it makes the recipe weaker. And the fact of the matter is, in this case, it is completely the opposite. If you have a 10 item list, the more of those items that you can stretch out and put in your own idea, the stronger your spell will be because it will be more your spell. Precisely. And that's yep. a perfect place to stop that conversation. While we've been having discussions around what we call our metaphysical kernels of thought, which are the whys that form the basics of our beliefs on the path, we recently realized that we could also share about our practices as well. These are the hows and whats that we, as practitioners on the path, actually do in our own lives. So we're calling this new segment Practices of the Path. This segment will be about everything from the various tools that we work with, as well as those we don't and why, to the solar and lunar cycles, herbs we use, 
crystals and stones that we work with, candles, incenses, oh my, and anything else we come up with that can give an understanding of what we personally do with our magical practices. Yep. How do we do what we do when we're doing it? You yeah, got it. pretty much. So we're moving on to wands tonight, which a lot of witches do work with. And the official Webster Dictionary definition is a slender rod used by conjurers and magicians. And conjurers are actually defined as those that practice magic arts and illusions. Yep. So, Another pronunciation that, that that some people might be familiar with is conjurers. Yeah, exactly. So yep. mine tends to be a bit more English sometimes. Conjurers, so, diviners, yeah, absolutely. All of those, exactly. And traditionally made of wood. And one thing that I found interesting is they used to be considered a symbol of authority back in medieval times. Like the mayor carried a thing that was called a wand which is like a very tall, like six foot rod. So like a scepter, a, a symbolic to totem of power. But it was made of wood. Because okay. you weren't like a king or who would have the fancy precious metal ones. Okay. So it was made of wood specifically. So I find that kind of interesting. Now, well, so and when I think of a, a, a wand in that sort of, um, definition type format i think of a uh, orchestra conductor yeah same idea you know i think of you know mickey mouse back with the the magic on the mountain yes and, <laughs> and, and the buckets being carried up the steps by the broom and oh, the rising yes well, my, pro my projector of intention yes sue and i were never really that into ones a lot of people are they they if you start looking and you get away from the Harry Potter realm, there are specific correspondences, I guess is the best word, associated with different types of wood. Sure. To make a wand from. Yep. For instance, a birch tree is associated with intuition or driftwood with moon, specifically with moon magic. Okay. Oak. Protection and strength, which makes, sense. makes sense. The mighty oak, etc. Holly tree, sun magic. Okay. Red berries in the winter, kind of thing, sure. I think. Um, you had to do with immortality and death and change. And yew trees are traditionally planted in cemeteries. Mm -hmm. So it they kind are. of makes sense all the different kinds that are available. Or alder wood, which likes its roots in water. Yep. So find them a lot is associated with weather magic. So, and I can see you know each of these um, correspondences as you describe them makes sense to me, um, and this is all kind of new information to me. Um, yeah. Simply because, sort of like we talked about last week, um, a wand to me can be anything that I need it need to be a wand mm -hmm. um that being said i do have a couple of ceremonial wands most of them are ones that i created myself from just sticks or pieces of wood that i picked up along the trail so the the driftwood and flotsam of my my path so to speak um but i've also in the past had a couple of wands that were made of bone i don't know if you ran across any of that in your research or not mm -hmm. but, um i've made uh, deer antler 
uh, ones and found them to be very, very powerful. You know, um, of course, I'm always wood burning seagulls into them and, and crafting them and putting my energy in them to make them and imbue them with the properties of a, a what I consider to be a proper wand. I guess I'm a little bit more into the wand aspect than you are. Yeah, Sue and I were never totally into it. I mean, back in the day when we first started practicing magic, for want of a better word, there was a whole big debate about whether you should harvest your wand branch that you're going to create your wand out of from a living tree or did the tree have to drop it in front of you basically so that you found it on the trail you you know what i'm saying and and we kind of thought it was a bit silly especially at the same time there were all over the internet and probably still are wands made out of all sorts of things nowadays like copper is very popular i have uh three or four different crystal wands that are uh single or double terminated um you know yeah. magical crystals that, that oh, yeah. i use as wands as well yep well very often people do put crystals of various types at the end depending on their purpose and i can see you know if that's your thing great you yep. know never really been Well, and, and, and from my aspect, talking about why it is that, that I'm a little bit more, more connected with the wand is I also used to describe to people, you know, when we do a smudging and the, the tradition is the wafting of the smoke with a feather. Mm -hmm. But it is my contention, or at least my belief in the Dave universe, that those are simply props or totems or visual representations because my primate brain has developed very strongly towards making visualizations and matching patterns. And I know it makes sense for you not being able to visualize that the wand aspect of a ceremony might not be as valuable, but for me, when I have seeing the smoke and knowing that my intention goes with it or seeing the athame pointed at the moon and know that aspect of actually physically enacting, it's almost like I'm LARPing my world, but, but I see stuff come off the end of my wand and I see energy change and I see intention go out that, I struggle to see without some silly thing in my hand. And like I say, I can reach down and pick up a pencil off the office floor. And if that's what I'm going to use, that's what I'm going to use. But pointing barehanded to me, I always, I feel that I'm missing some potency of a tangible object. I thrive on some of the props, I guess. I think we all thrive on different props, you know, just because I can't picture it in my mind's eye or, as you say, see energy shooting out the end of a wand. I know that it's happening, and I can do it in that aspect. For me, it's more, okay, my hands work just as well as a wand. Yep. And I don't want to go all the trouble to go out in the woods and find a stick that's going to be the right stick because I'm going to connect with it in some way. And what if I miss the stick? 
And then there's a whole discussion about what crystal point do I want to attach to it and what sort of crystal should it be? And then what metal do I want to wrap it in or do I want to use string? And then what colored string? You see what I yeah, I do. And I sit here looking at three or four incenses burning in a little cluster on my uh, table altar tonight. And I'm thinking I could pick up any of the ones that are smoking randomly and point it at the screen and it would be my wand. So well, sure. for me, it's the having of the prop as opposed to the specifics of the prop. I guess that's distilling things down. For me, a wand is that which satisfies a person's ability to tangibly feel the representation of their energy and intention. Gotcha. And I think because Sue and I practiced together so many years, and we are very practical people, we were together, the easiest way to do something is to point. You never And for us, it was the words and the actions that we did Sure. Props as opposed to a physical tool. Now, I love the thing. So you're so you're you're actually representing the practice with a verb as opposed to a noun, meaning you are seeing it as an action where I tend to see it as a device. Exactly. But it gets accomplished. That's an interesting breakdown, you know, just over a few minutes in um, getting to the root of why it is that, you know, even in the Harry Potter world, why is it that a wand has power? And, you know, is it the magician or is it a direction or a focusing of energy or, you know, what is it to you? Yeah, exactly. And, and you had, you'd, and in Harry Potter, the whole deal was you had to connect with one specific wand again. You know, and, and I don't think... Sue and I evolved our practice in a way beyond the need for that specific. Now, backing it up, if we create a space, a sacred space of any kind, we would use the atomy. And yes, sure, I, sure. A, you're using that prop as, as a wand, absolutely. In, in that sense, but also to literally mark the circle in that sense. And I could see her doing that and know that's what was happening. And the way I feel, I physically experience a change in energy. It's like a change in barometric pressure for me in that respect. I won't see her cast that bubble. She she used to be able to see the bubble. I never saw the bubble. But I knew it was there. You know, I I could feel the different spaces it occupied. With with Susie, for me, it was I felt the bubble. I could feel on my skin that I was getting close enough when you two would be working out in the yard, and I would just keep my distance and, and yeah. try to stay out of that space. Sure. I, I, I always got the, the yeah. funny that this stuff comes up in conversation because I had this sensation this afternoon, and I had a little bit of a weepy moment this afternoon. Yeah. So um, while we're talking about wands and all of this stuff, um, I miss you, honey. I really do. I do too. Yeah. The time of year, too. You know. Oh, certainly. You know, it certainly. is. I, I, three or four times out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw her working out in the garden. Today, well, of course, you know? the harvest season for her. Yeah. 
She'd be, she'd be out there playing garbage. with her tomatoes. Yeah, and, and collecting garbage bags of sage. <laughs> we, we'll, well, well, yeah, we'll, I still we'll, have enough sage, and it's been years, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, I'll tell you the sage story one time, and now it became her spirit plant as a joke between the two of us. But that's maybe her. we can make, maybe if you want to scratch that down on a list, we might be able to do that on a little YouTube chat. Yeah, that would be perfect. The sage story is hysterical. I Excellent. Mean, the idea is, I mean, we value birth and reverence in all things, and sometimes you have to take the mirth. Sure, absolutely. All right, so wands, that's the way I envision them and see them and use them in my daily practice. And I don't. And that's, Elizabeth doesn't, and, and some of the perspective that how the path developed the way that it was. Yeah, and the idea is if you want a wand, go find one. Or make what? Yeah, I'm I'm the pick up a stick, and and so shall it be. But yeah, pretty much. But that's <laughs> we're more practical. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. So we'll all right. Do other things. We have heard from some of our listeners who appreciate what we are talking about in our segments, but are asking for spells or about spells. Can you give me a spell for this or that? I want to be able to. Fill in the blank here. Find love, romance, money, etc. Since you asked, we are adding a small segment to some of our podcasts going forward that we are calling Practical Magic for the Everyday Witch. These are simple spells we use that don't require a lot of ingredients for correspondences or sometimes no ingredients at all. Because we like to be able to use magic to deal with the practical everyday stuff, this is what we have to share. However, the biggest reminder about spellcraft is that the best spells are the ones you create for yourself, because they are a part of your own magic. Actually, there are three important components to any spell. Number one is setting your intent. This means that you need to be able to state clearly and precisely what you want your spell to do and how you want it to be done. Number two is ingredients. Any physical items you need to cast your spell, such as candles or herbs, or to act as correspondences, which are representations of something physical that you don't have right in front of you or are trying to come up with or manifest. Finally, number three is some sort of way to raise energy. After all, all spells are powered by energy, and there are a number of different ways to raise this type of energy, including chanting or various movements. You have something you want to accomplish tomorrow. It could be something major or just to get through through your day more easily. It doesn't matter what you want. So here is a quick spell you can use at that time to give you that little extra energy boost for tomorrow. In fact, we call it a bedtime crystals quick spell. Your intent that you will set to do your spell. Tomorrow I will accomplish. Now fill in the blank, whatever that, whatever that is. Ingredients are simple. Three crystals of your own choosing that you feel will match your intent. And here's a spell chant to raise energy. I ask this crystal to come to my aid, so my concerns about tomorrow are allayed. Again, that chant is, I ask this crystal to come to my aid, so my concerns about tomorrow are allayed. Now here's the steps you can follow. 
When you are ready for bed, sit there and pick up the first crystal while saying the spell chant over and over. Feel the energy coursing through it and place it on your nightstand when you feel ready. Now repeat the previous step with the other two crystals. In other words, pick it up, say the spell chant over and over. When you're ready, place it on your nightstand. Now go to bed and leave them there overnight. When you open your eyes in the morning, know that your magic will carry you through the day. Be certain. Then say the following out loud. Today, my crystal's energy walks with me. As I will, so mote it be. Now, you can put your crystals away or choose to carry them with you as reminders throughout the day that you're accomplishing whatever you need. Before we go, we would like to present you with a tip or trick or witchy hint. Just something to make your day go better because we live in a mixture of the magical and the mundane. Today's tip, trick, or witchy hint is some reminders about balance and maybe enjoying the process. If you listen to our podcast with any regularity, a lot of things seem to come back to balance. Keeping balance between your spiritual practices and your mundane life. Balance of your sacred tree and taking care of yourself, your body, mind, and spirit. Balance, balance, balance. Seems like everything needs to be in balance. However, first reminder is balance is an ideal. There's no such thing as perfect balance in our lives or around us most of the time when you think about it. If you think about the balance between the light and the dark, we're coming up on the autumnal equinox where there's that reminder of balance between dark and light energies or light and dark energies, however you want to put it. And if you notice on the calendar, there's really only two days of the year where that supposed quote-unquote perfect balance actually happens. The autumnal equinox and then again the vernal equinox in the spring. We tend to think of those times as reminders that balance is an ideal to strive for and not when you're always going to achieve or ever going to achieve. But you can have fun trying. Because we live and work in the mundane world all the time, a reminder is to look around you for those synchronicities that show up every day and are a reminder that the magical exists. Reminding yourself regularly that you are a magical person who has magic at your fingertips and magical choices helps you walk that line between the magical and the mundane. We have a sacred three of body, body, mind, and spirit, if I can talk today, which shows you how out of balance I am at the moment. It's nice if we can have them all moving in the same general direction, especially since one effect, what affects one affects the other two, or so we choose to believe. However, if you start looking at it, very rarely are those three in any kind of balanced order. I can be having times of really good physical health and mentally be all over the place and have not had time to do anything spiritual that I wanted to do for weeks on end the way I think it should be done. And therein lies the second reminder. Don't beat yourself up about balance. The idea is to try and find as much equilibrium, I guess is a better even word than balance at times because you're going to cycle in and out of different aspects of your life that will be in balance or not. 
one of the things that we try to remember is that can I figure out where I'm out wildly out of balance sooner than I did the last time? Because it's like those Newton's cradles, they call them, where you hit the ball on one end and then they all go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and settle somewhere in the middle. The different parts of our lives are like those balls all swinging wildly back and forth. And when it's a pendulum, you have the faster swing when you first start going back and forth until it does settle more towards the middle. But it's never really still either, but it heads more towards the center. But the idea is if I can figure out when I'm on an upswing or a downswing sooner, I can center myself back towards the middle. One of the biggest things that we find is important for balance is making time to do those things that we find spiritually satisfying. And along with all those responsibilities, finding fun things that bring us joy, that are just make us happy, make us enjoy those pieces of life so that we're not always swinging back and forth and back and forth. So with those reminders about balance, my tip, trick, or witchy hint is how I always sign off when I do a podcast. May you find mirth and reverence in all things so that you are walking through your day, whether you're buried in mundane responsibilities or doing something that is a major ritual, find the joy in it, find the sacredness in it, and walk in the middle of it. Well, it looks like the coffee cups are empty for this week. We hope you join us again next Tuesday, but you can find us at our website, twoyoungcrones.com. That's the number two, Young Crones. We'd love to have you join our growing online Discord community. Check out our new Patreon presence. Just look for Young Crones Cafe. Through Patreon, you'll be able to make it to our Discord. We are also Young Crones Cafe on Twitter and Facebook. Until then, remember, we are witches who work with energies to affect change. We are believers in both imminent and transcendent divine. We are celebrants of the passage of the solar and lunar cycles. We are hedgewalkers who pass back and forth between the worlds of the magical and the mundane. We are seekers of knowledge. And we are walkers of a spiritual tradition we call the path. So mote it be. So mote it be. Oh.